Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. Today, we'll find out if we had the luck of the Irish with our Emmer soda bread. And we'll introduce our final bake-along, a classic cookie, the Russian tea cake, that's been modernized and made gluten-free with buckwheat, rice flour, and oat flour. We'll also hear about Stefan's latest adventures when the globetrotting gourmet returns from Sweden for a quick update. So grab yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Andrea, we had such a robust response from our listeners over on our Facebook listeners page to the grocery store segment we did back in episode 164. That mini segment remains top of my list for best title ever. It was called Brick Meets Click. (laughs) Yeah, such a good mix of people just like the two of us. So you're a real expert in online grocery shopping. I'm a newbie at it. Yeah. And I felt like our listeners were a combination of both as well. And, you know, we had a listener say, what I really want is some service that would pull from a variety of different stores, you know, because I like to get this product from this store, but I like this at this other store. And I believe you jumped in, too, and you were like, yes, yes, that's exactly what I need. That is truly the bane of my existence. A lot of times if my husband and daughter want to go grocery shopping with me, they'll say, can I come along with you? And I'll say, yes, Hmm. but just so you know, I'm going to seven different stores. (laughs) Good At Lord. which point they usually opt out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I can't believe I didn't tell you about Ocado, which is the service that does exactly that here in London. Oh, I've not heard of that. Okay, tell me about it. Yeah, essentially just what we, we were saying. They pull from a variety of stores, and off the top of my head, I think it's Waitrose, although that might be changing to Marks & Spencer in the next year or so. They do a variety of other stores. So, for example, if you really like the meat from Waitrose, but you always get sparkling water from Tesco or another grocery store, mm-hmm. Ocado pulls it all together. I've used them a time or two. It can be nice when you have favorites at different places. So maybe that's something that is coming stateside and will be the answer to your prayers. Two questions. Number one, do you shop from the Ocado app? Yeah, or website. Mm -hmm. Yes. Or website. Okay. All right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then does it work with the grocery stores that don't offer online shopping? So is it more like just having a personal shopper? No, it's just like using any grocery store's app or website for online shopping. Ocado just stocks things from different places. Okay. So it has to be, they have to have a partnership, I guess. You can't just say, well, I really like this from, you know joe bob's grocery and if they don't have a partnership with that it doesn't matter does that make sense okay okay it does and so i'm gonna ask for my usa enhancement when a company starts this so tech people if you're listening (laughs) (laughs) what i want is the ability to have a personal shopper who will go to any store oh i know for example my co-op is not going to be offering no 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 shopping anytime soon yeah trader joe's doesn't the farmer's market doesn't offer it and that's why i have so many stops well so does that service shipped will they go anywhere you want them to go 
I don't know. You know, we had a listener who posted that she is a shipped shopper and that she loves mm-hmm. doing it. So yes, listener Megan, I believe it was. Maybe you can weigh in and let us know if shipped does that. And if not, I'm certain that's a service that's going to be offered soon. I mean, everything in our world is getting more and more personalized and more and more to your door deliveries. So that's something I might take advantage of. I still love my actual grocery shopping and being in the stores and smelling and tasting and touching everything. But I got to be honest, on some rainy, rainy, nasty weekend days, that's not how I want to spend my time. Yeah. You know, the other thing I just wanted to say quickly, you were saying that when you've tried to do online apps before, it's just really slowed you down. And I wanted to, to say that I don't disagree with you, but that's initially. Once you have it set up, all of the sites that I've used have like a favorites tab. And so I just go there and I like do one click and they're all in my basket. Once you have it established, it's very, very fast. I probably spend 20 minutes. Okay. So just that initial investment in time. Exactly. Yeah, exactly right. Anyway, I just thought it was really interesting and fascinating to see people's reactions and experiences and worries and everything. So keep them coming, people. You know, there's that Facebook post. I think you had put out initially, Andrea, when that episode dropped. But, you know, you can always send us an email to hosts at preheatedpodcast.com or get in touch on the Facebook page. Yeah, it's really fun seeing what people are doing. And especially some of our listeners who live in some more far-flung areas, you know, they need these sort of services to have places where they can get ingredients that they can't get in their local grocery stores. Yeah, really true. Well, Andrea, this week we baked along an Emmer flour soda bread, the latest in our alternative flours this month of flour power. Emmer flour, it was from the CEO of Dove's Farm flour here in the UK, Claire Marriage. Very simple and straightforward recipe here, came together really quickly, included some natural yogurt, which is like a runny yogurt, water, Emmer flour, bicarb or baking soda, salt and oil, Mixing everything together, baking it for about an hour, turning it out, and ta-da, fresh hot bread. Andrea, you mentioned last episode you're not a huge soda bread person. How did the Emmer work, and did it change your mind? First of all, I disobeyed your instructions to not use Greek yogurt because it (laughs) turned out that was all I had. And as you look at the instructions, you combine the yogurt and the water and stir it to combine. So I thought, well, Mm -hmm. you know, if I just give it a really good stir, that'll be nice and runny anyway. And was it like a whole milk Greek yogurt? Was it a semi-skim? Was it a zero fat? No, it was a whole milk Greek yogurt. Yeah, delicious. That's my preference to eat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Kind of like having ice cream at night. You put a little fruit (laughs) fruit and granola on it. Tangy ice cream. (laughs) And so I mixed that yogurt and water with the flour, the baking soda, and the salt. It came together quite nicely. It was a bit sticky, and it says that it will be a soft, sticky dough. Yeah. So when I put it into the prepared tin, and I didn't use parchment, I actually just used baking spray, and that worked out fine. Okay. It says smooth the top and sprinkle with oil. When I started trying to smooth the top, it really wasn't working because it was so sticky. So I did put ice water on my hands, and then I could smooth it. So I just wanted to toss that out there, that little tip. That'll help you smooth that top if that's important to you. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting choice of verb, to sprinkle the oil. Because I always think of like brushing on the oil or, Mm -hmm. like you say, smoothing. So 
I think I did the same thing. I didn't sprinkle no. it. I, I was more <laughs> thorough than that. I agree. Yeah. I covered my tin with the kitchen foil. Now, it says with oiled kitchen foil. I did not oil my kitchen foil. It's kind of just fun to say oiled kitchen foil, though. (laughs) (laughs) I'm surprised I got that out on the first time. Well done. I just used regular aluminum foil. I made a little tent or a little dome, as it says, so that the bread can rise during cooking. I did bake it for the 55 minutes. I checked it at 45 and looked and peeked under the dome and it still was looking a bit raw in the middle and so I pulled it at 55 I removed the foil and then I did bake it the further 10 minutes I pulled it out I turned it on to a wire rack and sure enough it did sound hollow and then it says allow to cool completely before serving those are kind of fighting words to you (laughs) yeah I mean as I said last week (laughs) one of the things that I found to be true about soda bread is that it's Usually only good when it's hot out of the oven and slathered with butter. So I felt Mm. I should follow my usual technique. Mm. And so I didn't allow it to cool completely. I just let it cool for a few minutes. I made a big slice and slathered it with that Kerrygold Irish butter. And I thought it was fabulous. I thought it was really, really good. Um, A nice nutty flavor. Definitely that wholemeal, Mm. um, that emmer flour. I mean, I don't know what emmer flour should taste like, but I thought it had a very distinctive taste. Agreed. And it was really good and really different. And I have been eating it all week for breakfast. So every morning, I slice a piece, I pop it into the toaster. And that's my new thing with soda bread. I just have decided that soda bread is best eaten warm. And that's how you kind of get away from that dry, cracky feeling that I sometimes get when I eat it. Yeah, yeah. And you know, we are huge fans of soda bread in our house and we'll often have it for breakfast as well. And it's really good with peanut butter or almond butter and a little bit Mm. of honey on there and Mm -hmm. toasted especially. Agreed with the butter. You, Of course, you can't go wrong with copious amounts of Kerrygold butter on top of just about (laughs) anything. My husband really liked this as well. And he told me a funny story when I had it sitting out on the counter and I had sliced my end off. I love the end pieces. Oh, gosh, me too. Yes. The rest of the loaf was sitting there on the counter. And he said, my daughter came home from school and she saw it there and she didn't look at it too closely. And she said, oh, yum, banana bread. And she sliced into it (laughs) and took a bite Uh and was sorely disappointed Uh because it is not banana bread. (laughs) It's not sweet. No. Mm -hmm. No. I mean, there's no sugar in it. No, 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 not mm -mm. at all. Different, different thing entirely. Yeah, I can't speak as to whether she actually liked it or not, because it was one of those what I call bait and switch moments. When you're expecting a slice of creamy, sweet banana bread and you bite into a dry soda bread, that's just not going to light your day. (laughs) That's not what you were looking for. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I had a very similar experience, Andrea. I make soda bread a lot, and my recipe is much more complex than this, and so I really appreciated the simplicity of this recipe. My go-to has like pinhead oats in it and regular oatmeal and some wholemeal flour and some wheat germ, and I thought what the emmer flour did so nicely was that it added a lot of complexity, and you alluded to that. I thought so too. It had that nutty flavor, but I also tasted like brown sugar or molasses oats. It did all of that heavy lifting that my other recipe needs four or five ingredients to do in one flour. Yes. I loved that. I had no problems with anything in the recipe except that, as you guys know, I have a fan oven. It is nearly impossible to get 
oiled kitchen foil to stay on top of anything because it blows off. (laughs) (laughs) So I started with the best intentions, even though I was pretty sure how it was going to play out. Sure enough, you know, three minutes in, it's, it's to the side. So I just took it out and watched it carefully in my fan oven. It only took 45 minutes and it was nicely baked, sounded hollow when tapped. We ate it warm. We ate it for breakfast in the toaster. This is a bread that freezes really well also. So if you have any leftovers you're not going to get to, pop it in there. It is so hearty and sturdy like any soda bread. It's great with soup. Mm. It's, it's a great all-rounder and it is incredibly fast. Yeah, I just went to a dinner sponsored by a cider company, and they served a cider cheese soup as one of the courses. Oh, I've had those, yeah. I immediately thought to myself, oh, the soda bread would be so good with this. Yeah, like hearty soups, yeah. Hearty and something that's like sturdy and can stand up, like you could dip it in that soup and it wouldn't just fall apart, you know? Yeah, like a chowder, like a corn chowder, something like that too would be really good. Well, this one's definitely going in my rotation. I also like the fact that there's no rising time on it. I mean, it's a quick bread because you just mix it together and pop it in the oven. Yep. I have very few bread recipes like that. I'm definitely going to work this one in. I might even try making it with some other types of flour now that I know what this soda bread recipe tastes like with ember flour. I still have some einkorn left over, so maybe I'll try it with that as well. Yeah, and I'm very motivated to experiment more with emmer. I thought that was a very complex, maybe of all of the flours that we've used so far, the most singularly complex flour with the best taste. Yes. I loved it. Yeah. Let's see what you think about buckwheat because (laughs) (laughs) this week our bake-along is the buckwheat thumbprint cookies with cherry preserves. Mm. This comes from Alice Medrick. We've talked about her before. I think she's called the queen of chocolate. She wrote a book in 2014 called Flavor Flowers. Yeah. And it's a great book about alternative flowers. I highly recommend it. I looked at quite a lot of the recipes in there. And this particular recipe is inspired by that cookbook. These are a twist on the iconic Russian tea cake cookies. Stefan, is that a cookie that's in your regular rotation that you make? It's not. You know, the Russian tea cake is so fascinating. When I was a kid, I took piano lessons, and at holiday time, my teacher would always have like a party after the recital, and it was a potluck party. And there was a family there that always brought those. And you know when something is so exotic to you because you don't have it regularly, yeah. right? And oh my gosh, I just, I, I couldn't wait for that recital to be over so I could go get the Russian tea cakes. <laughs> now I know why you played piano for so many years. <laughs> exactly. It was very motivating, actually. <laughs> But you know, Andrea, these cookies, I, I'm scratching my head. I was like, are they the same thing as a Mexican wedding cookie? And I did a little research. Oh, good. I, I was having that same question too because when I was thinking to myself, I know I don't make Russian tea cakes, or at least I don't have a recipe called Russian tea cakes. Yeah. But my mother-in-law makes cookies that I call walnut cookies yep. every year at holiday time. And they're very similar to this with a lot of the ground walnuts and the powdered sugar on top. And I often call those Mexican wedding cookies. So, okay, lay it on us. What's the difference? Okay, well, according to (laughs) BettyCrocker.com, an authoritative source, get all my news from Betty, Russian tea cakes are the same cookie as Mexican, Italian, or Swedish wedding cookies, Austrian Kipferen, Butterballs or Snowballs. So if you make or have eaten any of those, it's essentially the same cookie. Sometimes what varies is the nut, and you'll see that here. 
she calls for either walnuts or pecans. So I think with Mexican wedding cookies, especially Betty called out, like that's a pecan based. But here you have a choice. In essence, though, they're they're essentially the same group of cookies, which is the group called the jumble, the larger category of cookie. <laughs> Okay. Yes. Well, I I love anything in a jumble category. So oh, oh, do you? <laughs> a regular Russian tea cake will use typically all-purpose flour. And the yeah. fun thing about this recipe and why we wanted to use it for our flour month is that it uses buckwheat flour, oat flour, and also white rice flour or Thai rice flour. Yes. Three flours. Only one of those is new to me. Mm. I use oat flour, and in fact, I make my own oat flour. That sounds so snotty. I make my own oat flour. <laughs> well done, you. <laughs> I have one cookie recipe that I absolutely love, and it has two tablespoons of oat flour in it. So, of course, I'm not going to buy and store oat flour for that. Oh. So I just take two tablespoons of oats and throw them in my food processor or my blender okay. and whiz it up, and bam, then I've got oat flour. I have used buckwheat flour yeah. before, um, not for baking per se, uh, in terms of pastries or cookies, mm -hmm. but I've used it in pancakes, and I really like it. I do too. The white rice flour or the Thai rice flour was new for me, so I'm excited to try that out. How about you, Stefan? Do you have experience with all of these types of flours? Yeah, it's the same for me. I have experience with buckwheat and oat flour as well. Thai rice is a new one. I want to give Alice some credit here because she has both kinds of measurements, which we love. And in the white rice flour measurement, she says it's 55 grams and there's a little star. And the asterisk explains in such precise and thoughtful ways why, you know, you're using the same amount, but the measurement is different. And she says it's because it's so light, you need more to get to this grams. So if you are new to measuring and you're kind of unsure yes. why you're seeing different measurements for the same volume is that right yes that's it that's it she was just so succinct in that much better than i've done here anyway read her asterisks um <laughs> <laughs> yeah the thai rice flour is even finer yes. than regular white rice flour right. so if you use the thai rice flour you're going to need a little over half a cup whereas if you use the regular white rice flour you'll need a little over a quarter cup right Rather than worrying about how much you need and which cut measure to pull out, just weigh it. Because just what you it. really need is 55 grams. Exactly, exactly. Otherwise, Andrea, there is sugar, salt, soda, some cold cream cheese, 12 tablespoons, a stick and a half, or 170 grams of unsalted butter. That's just slightly softened, whereas the cream cheese is specifically cold. A tablespoon of water, a teaspoon mm -hmm. of vanilla, some powdered sugar or icing sugar for dusting, and then about 80 grams of cherry preserves. Because these are thumbprints, you are going to make that indent and then fill it with the cherry preserves. Andrea, I might guess that you're going to go with pecans here. I am going to go with pecans, assuming my daughter hasn't eaten through my stash when I wasn't looking. <laughs> Snack attack. Yeah. How about you? I'll do walnuts. I love walnuts. I'm going to toast and cool mine before I put them in with the others, just to pump up the flavor a bit. I thought I would throw out, too, these are called buckwheat thumbprint cookies. But when you look at the recipe, you can see that you can actually do this two ways. Yeah. So if you want to make thumbprint cookies, when you pull the cookies out of the oven, you're going to press the handle of a wooden spoon down into the cookie to make that depression. 
and fill it with your cherry preserves. Yeah. But if you didn't want to do that, then just go ahead and leave those cookies alone. And you can also make them without doing the depression filled with preserves. So that's an option for you. And then just a very important point on this recipe is that it needs to chill. She says at least two hours, but preferably 24. So this is one that wants a lot of chilling time. As you guys know, when I had the meltdown, the lacy almond mat of the Pignolis <laughs> yes. last month, I'm going to take that serious advice there and chill this for as long, as long as I can. I'm not sure it will be a day, but uh, I will try my best to make that at 24 hours. Well, I like chilling my cookie doughs anyway. I've mentioned that before sometimes. Mm, yeah. I use the phrase aged because it makes it sound more intentional oh as opposed to <laughs> the fact that sometimes I just occasionally go, I want to make cookies without even looking at what my life is like. You've got aged aged cookie dough and homemade oat flour. Well, Andrew. That's right. <laughs> I age my dough anywhere from one to five days. Vintage dough. <laughs> Probably some sophisticated taster could, you know, do a test. One day aged dough tastes like versus three day or five day. So I'll probably go with the overnight because um, that often works with my schedule. Yeah, You can yeah. do a little piece one day and finish it off the next. And I am super excited about doing this. I already know that I've not had any trouble getting my flowers. So that was exciting. I was able to purchase my buckwheat flour from the bulk bins in my grocery store. As I mentioned, I'm making my own oat flour. And then I was also able to get that rice flour in the bulk bins in my regular grocery yeah. store. So that was kind of exciting. I thought that I might have to buy, you know, the full bags from a specialty miller. And it was nice to just be able to buy what I needed for these recipes. Yeah, I found mine on amazon.co.uk. They're all in very small amounts. So I'm not even sure it's like mm -hmm. two cups or something. It's, it's a very small. So I'm happy about that because as we've mentioned all of this month, it's nice to buy these flowers that you've never used before in smaller amounts because if it doesn't work out or you're not really keen on them, then, you know, you don't have five pounds staring you in the face. Yes. I'm so excited to have people bake along with us and see if they do the thumbprints or the tea cakes without the depression and the preserves and see what they look like. And remember, we'll have links to all of the recipes we've talked about today in the show notes for this episode, which is episode 169 on our website, preheatedpodcast.com as well as in our Facebook listeners group. That is the Emmer Flower Soda Bread from Dove's Farm. And today's Bake Along, the Buckwheat Thumbprints with Cherry Preserves from Alice Medrich via Food52. Stefan, you have filed several reports from Scandinavia. You were in Finland in episode 68, Norway in episode 117, and Denmark in episode 120. So to add to that Nordic Globetrotting Gourmet catalog, Today, you're going to fill us in on your recent trip to Sweden. Yes. I just have to get myself to Iceland, and it will be a complete series. <laughs> but Sweden was a memorable addition, full of hearty carbs and cardamom. Ah, oh, my kind of country. In the capital city of Stockholm, after a cold day of sightseeing, we popped into a local cafe for the famous Swedish cinnamon buns, Kannelbuller. Though these yeasted rolls are similar to American-style cinnamon rolls, they differ in a few major ways. Unlike their American counterparts, Swedish buns are never iced, and despite their name, they're filled with a spice mixture that's heavy on the... Cardamom, my favorite. You're right. It does depend on the baker, but you'll find buns that rely primarily on cardamom or some that have more cinnamon in the mix. But whatever spice mix the baker uses, it's a pretty sure bet they will finish the buns off with beautiful white pearl sugar balls. 
And also unlike American cinnamon rolls, cattle bular really signifies something much deeper than a snack. There, fika. Fika? Is that like the Danish huga? A cozy atmosphere? The Swedes actually have another word, lagum, that more closely relates to the snug and secure mood of Danish huga. But fika seems to take that concept and add food and bev. So stopping to have a cozy snack of cinnamon buns and coffee or hot chocolate with your friends every day. I love it. It seems like that would be especially important in the often cold and dark weather of Sweden, too. Absolutely. Homes and shops all put candles or lamps in their windows to cast a welcoming glow and literally light up the dark. I think the idea of snuggling down with a warm cinnamon bun and hot beverage while chatting with friends is something I could easily adopt, especially in the wintertime. And I'm taking my Scandi baking class, which is a 20 for 20 baking resolution soon, so I'll be able to report back on making these myself. But in the meantime, you've posted a recipe from Scandi Kitchen in the show notes for this episode, which is episode 169, so listeners can jump into fika feet first. (laughs) You also took a cooking class on your trip, but it sounds like this one was very different to any others that you'd taken before. It certainly was. Our family took a class with Sherston at her working farm, Arfalosh, and she showed us how to make a traditional Sami meal. The Sami are the indigenous people of Norway, Sweden, Russia, and Finland, and they have an amazing culinary heritage that reflects their formerly nomadic lifestyle and deep appreciation for and history as reindeer herders. I remember you speaking about this a little when you did your Finland report, but I don't remember you eating any Sami food then. We didn't, which was one reason I was so excited to meet and cook with Sherston. In her outdoor teepee, we concocted and cooked our meal over an open fire. I was responsible for the traditional flatbread, which was made with flour, water, oil, a little salt, and yeast or baking soda, then fried in a cast iron skillet until they were puffy and brown. At least, that was the idea. (laughs) I haven't cooked over a fire since I was camping as a kid, so I had to get adjusted. For example, my first few batches were too light and my last several were burnt. But I managed to make an ample amount that were just right and Sherston was very forgiving. Thank goodness. What did you eat those with? Well, my husband made pancakes. Mm. Reindeer blood pancakes. The Sami have been practicing nose-to-tail butchering long before it's been trendy, and they use literally every part of any reindeer they kill, and that includes using the blood for this very popular and nourishing snack. The batter is actually very simple. In addition to its star ingredient, it's just a little flour and water. My husband used a special cast iron pancake griddle that had about eight rounds. It was a little like a muffin tin in skillet form. And we ate those with another staple, lingonberries. Oh, right. Those are the very tart, very red berries, kind of like a cranberry. I speak mainly from my experience perusing the food section at Ikea, of course. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, they're much smaller than a cranberry, but just like a cranberry, they're almost inedible without sugar. So we made a simple relish of berries and sugar and served that on top of the pancakes, and it was delicious. We also fried salted and dried moose steaks, which we put on top of the bread, and those were fantastic. And we ate all of this in the teepee on reindeer skins around the roaring fire. It was negative 20 celsius which is about zero degrees fahrenheit outside but inside it was warm enough we had to shed our heavy snowsuits oh gosh well you know now i'm going to ask about dessert did you have any and did you make that over the fire too yes 
Another Sami specialty is coffee ost, translated as coffee cheese, mostly because you often put it in your coffee. It's a curdy, squeaky cheese similar to the bread cheese I ate in Finland. Sherston wrapped it up in tinfoil and warmed it over the coals until it was melty. Then she cut cubes and plopped them into mugs of hot coffee. Now, you know I'm not a coffee drinker, but of course I still had to try this. It made for a really rich addition, kind of how I imagine the trend of bulletproof or butter coffee is. Since I'm not a huge coffee person, I was happy when Sherston served me some of this cheese cut in wedges, sprinkled with coarse brown sugar and lingonberries. That was scrumptious. Oh, okay, this solves a mystery for me. Oh. You might recall after your finished report, I found a bread cheese from Car Valley in my local grocery, and I posted about it in our Facebook group. Yes. Listener Andrea replied, and she said, oh, that's Le Pajusto, a cheese that you put in coffee. And you could tell by my response that I just had no idea what she was talking about. So this clears it up. Do you eat the cheese off the top like you would do with a marshmallow and a cup of hot cocoa? Or do you let it sit and wait until the end and eat it when it's soaked up all of the coffee like a sponge? Yeah, that's a great question. Unlike a marshmallow, the cheese sunk straight to the bottom. So we let it melt a bit and then scooped it up at the end. But it wasn't completely melted because mine still squeaked. I am becoming more and more of a fan of cheese for dessert. (laughs) Maybe I'll start adding it to my coffee, Sami style. Well, Stefan, thank you for letting us tag along on your latest culinary adventure. It's always so educational to hear what you learned. Neat nazi. My pleasure. Listeners, be sure to check out the links to both a cinnamon bun recipe as well as the Sami farm where Stefan took her cooking class in the show sheets for today's episode, which is episode 169. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get the sprinkles on top of this episode. We release new shows every Monday morning, and in next week's special bonus episode, we'll find out if buckwheat made some magic in our updated Russian tea cakes. And since it's a month with five Mondays, we'll each award a blue ribbon to the recipe we loved most this Flower Power Month. Listeners, if you'd like to get an email and a link to the full show notes every week when our episode is released, subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, preheatedpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at PreheatedPod. If you like our show, please tell a friend and subscribe, and consider ranking and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our show. Until next time, I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Thanks for listening and sweet dreams. is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.